So we've been working through Colossians. For the last few weeks, we've been looking at this. Paul has been emphasizing the importance of staying connected to Jesus. There's this, there's this false teaching out there, and what he's saying is you just you hang on to him. Last week, we looked at this idea of being kidnapped or being taken, being taken captive by false teaching or this hollow and deceptive philosophy, he says, that's dependent on human tradition rather than on Christ. And he said, why would you go in that direction? Why would you allow that stuff that's inadequate and immature to capture you when all the fullness of God lives in Jesus. If you can have completeness, wholeness, fullness here, why would you settle for less than that over here? And that's where we pick up in verse 11. In him, that's in Christ, you were also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with a circumcision done by the hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Back in verse 11, in him, I think it's uh, maybe a 151 times, something like that in the New Testament, you'll see this phrase, in him or in Christ or in Christ Jesus. And almost all of them are in Paul's letters. For him, it's almost a technical term. And the easiest way, I think, for us to get our minds around that is to think of it like a country. Like we live in the United States as a geographical reality. And because we live in the United States, there's certain blessings or certain privileges or certain benefits, opportunities that come with living here. There's freedoms that we enjoy and, again, opportunities that we can have. There are things that go with living in the United States. Even if you're a citizen of the United States, if you live in another country, those rights, those privileges, those blessings don't accrue. They're, they're only for us who live in the United States. And the same thing is true for those of us who live in Jesus. Again, this isn't accurate, but just for our sake, it's easier, I think, to picture that as living in a country, saying we live in Christ. He's the locus of our reality, where we get our identity from. And there's certain benefits as you scan through the New Testament. You'll see some of these. It's just real quick. Philemon 1.6 says this, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith. How come? So that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. So in Christ, there are good things that we have. Here's a quick list. We have hope. 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. So we have hope that your past doesn't have to determine your future. The old is gone, the new has come. There's hope there for us who are in Christ. Freedom, Romans 8.1, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's freedom from us, there's pardon, there's forgiveness. Life, 1 Corinthians 15.22, for as in Adam all die, so that's one country that we're all born into. We're all born in Adam. So in Christ, all will be made alive. There's grace, 1 Corinthians 1.4, grace is, grace is given to us in Christ. Reconciliation, Ephesians 2.13, we are brought near to God in Christ. So that's reconciliation or access. We have access to the Father when we live in Christ. Peace, this is Philippians 4, 7. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Provision, Philippians 4, 19. God will meet all our needs in Christ Jesus. Colossians 1, 17. All things hold together in Christ. There's that idea of 
integrating your life so you can relax. You don't have to hold everything together because in Christ, He holds everything together. 2 Corinthians 1.20, all of God's promises are yes in Christ. Ephesians 1.3, we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Those are kind of the, what do you wish for? I wish that every wish I ever have would be granted. Those are kind of the catch-all. 2 Corinthians 1.20, every promise is yes, where? In Christ. Every spiritual blessing is yours, where? In Christ. In Him, that's where Paul starts, in Him, you were also circumcised. Circumcision was a physical sign of the covenant for Abraham and all of his descendants that signified their commitment to God. This is Genesis uh, 17. This is where the covenant of circumcision was instituted. When Abram, that's his name would become Abraham, was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. I will confirm my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down and God said to him, as for, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You'll be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I've made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan where you are now is an alien. I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. Then God said to Abraham, As for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision. It will be a sign of the covenant between me and you. For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born in your household or bought with money from a foreigner, those who are not your offspring. Whether born in your household or bought with your money, they must be circumcised. My covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people. He's broken my covenant. You get the picture there. Every male in the household has to be circumcised. Why? It's a sign of their commitment, their devotion, their consecration to God. It's a physical mark that says, I'm in the family. I'm a part of this tribe. I'm in this group. Anyone that doesn't have the mark is out. So the mark is the signifier that you're in. So in Jesus, you are also circumcised. How were we circumcised? Obviously, he's not walking around with a scalpel. So what does this look like? In the putting off of the sinful nature, not with the circumcision done by the hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ. This idea of our sinful nature, it's your flesh. Um, Some translations call it your old self or your unregenerate self. It's the part of us that's born bent away from God and towards us. It's the part of us, it's internal to us, although it's not natural in the sense of how God created us. But it is natural in the sense that we all have inherited this nature while we're in Adam that causes us to be rebellious towards the Lord. These are not the sinful acts. This isn't lying or cheating or stealing or lusting. That's sin with a little s. This is sin with a capital S. It's the part of us that shakes our fist at the Lord. And from that part of us, all of these sinful acts occur. This is uh, Galatians 5.24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have, been, have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. That's how Jesus circumcises us. Again, it's not, has no, it's not physical, 
at all. It's as we identify with him in his death, he cuts off our flesh. Paul talks in Galatians 2.20 about being crucified with Christ. It doesn't mean that that's what he's talking about, that part of us that's in, that lives in rebellion to God, our flesh, our sinful nature, our old selves, unregenerate self, whatever you want to say, that part of us has died. Now, for some of you, it's like, it hadn't died. I can tell you it hadn't died because just yesterday it was raging in me. This is a statement of fact. It's died. For some of us, though, we live as though that part of us still ruled and reigned in our hearts. And what Paul's trying to say here is that you don't have to live that way. That part of you, if you're a Christian, that's what happens when you become a Christian. That part of you dies. Done. Period. Dot. The end. Again, for some of us, we continue to struggle with it, but we're struggling with something that should be dead. This is James 1, 14 and 15. Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire, by his own evil desire, excuse me. So that's by your sinful nature, by your flesh. Then desire, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin. You see the connection there. It starts with this rebellious nature in our heart, sin with a capital S, which leads to sin with a little s, these acts that we commit. That's why you can never legislate or educate sin out of your life. Because you and me, we're the problem. It's not something external to us that we need to figure out, well, how do I set up proper fences and boundaries so that I don't mess up? The issue is in here. That's why we have to die. That's why Jesus says we've been, or Paul says we've been crucified with Christ. That's why in Galatians 5, he says if you've been, if you're a Christian, if you're following Jesus, then you're that sinful nature has been crucified with its passions and desires. Otherwise, you've got no shot. No shot. You're going to continue to commit sins with a little s because you can't do anything else because of sin with a capital S that's alive and kicking in your heart. But once that part of you dies that with the capital S, then you can begin to deal with sins with the little s, you can start dealing with these acts of rebellion once you've dealt with your rebellious nature. Some of you are parents. You've seen this with your children. There's a time where you can strong arm them because you're bigger than they are. But that time is it's short-lived. If their hearts don't change, you're done. There's nothing you can you can't ground them enough and punish them enough and spank them enough and consequence them enough when it comes to sins with a little s. Because if, as long as they're struggling with sin with a capital S in their heart, as long as they're, they're bent away from God, that means they're going to be bent away from you also as the authority in their life. They're going to continue to rebel. That's what has to change first. Then we can talk about sins with a little s. Again, there's a time where we can consequence and discipline and fence and educate and legislate. We can do all that for a time. But it's not for very long. We started with ten rules. How many do we have now? It's a whole lot more than ten. Because we keep coming up with ways of doing evil. Because it's who we are, separated from Him. In Adam, it's who we are. Our sinful nature has not died. It's still alive. It's still an act of rebellion towards the Lord. It has to die if we're ever going to be free. Having been buried with Him in baptism... Raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. So, 
in Jesus, we were circumcised. How are we circumcised? The putting off of the sinful nature, our flesh, that part of us that lives in rebellion to the Lord, not with a circumcision done by the hands of men. This is not a ritual, but with the circumcision done by Christ through his crucifixion. We've been buried with him in baptism, and we've been raised with him. We've been raised with Jesus through what? Through our faith in the power of God. Again, baptism, it's not just a ritual. It, it, if it's coupled with faith and the power of God, then, then this part of us, this flesh, has died who raised Jesus from the dead. One of the easiest things to do is to take something physical like circumcision and we treat it like magic. Well, if I'm circumcised, I'm in. Same thing can be true for baptism. Well, if I'm baptized, I'm in. Or giving. If I'm, if, if I'm giving, then I'm good. We can take the ritual act, the physical act, and we can make it magic. As long as I'm performing that, then I'm experiencing the reality behind it. That is not necessarily the case. You saw there, it's baptism coupled with faith. It's not baptism on its own. It's baptism coupled with faith in God. Even from Deuteronomy, God is already saying, you guys have missed it when it comes to circumcision. Deuteronomy 10.16, circumcise your hearts, therefore, and don't be stiff-necked any longer. He says this after the golden calf. You remember that Moses goes up to get the Ten Commandments. He's gone for 40 days, and they make an idol. He comes back down, he sees a golden calf, he gets fired up, he breaks the tablets. This is God's response. Don't just circumcise your body. That's great. That's the mark. Circumcise your hearts. That's what he's looking for. The inner commitment that goes with the outer symbol. Some of you have been married. Some of you are married. Many of you, all of you have been to a wedding. Saying the words does not guarantee the lifelong commitment and the lifelong relationship. If the heart is not behind, it's just words. It's just where, and that's why we, one of the reasons we are where we are with the, our family situation. Because they're just words. They're not magic. Saying, I'm, I'm here with you, better, worse, richer, poor, doesn't mean anything if my heart is not committed behind the words. And the same thing is true with everything we do with the Lord. If it's just ritual, it doesn't work. Deuteronomy 36. Love the Lord your, wait, excuse me, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the hearts of your descendants. Why? So you may love Him with all your heart and with all your soul and live. It's not enough to go through the ritual. Something has to happen to our heart or we can't love and then we can't live. Galatians 6.15, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is a new creation. And there's new creation is where it's when we live in Christ. It's in Him. That's what counts. Our hearts coming alive to Him. Yes, there are acts of obedience that we need to carry out. I, I say up here all the time, if you're a Christian and you haven't been baptized, you're living in disobedience to the Lord. 100%. I don't have... Yes. But being baptized, it's, if, if there's no... If it's not a outward symbol of an inward commitment, an inward devotion to the Lord, then don't do it. It's nothing. And we can get hung up on rituals. Well, I'm giving, and that way God has to give back to me. Your heart's not in it. You're just you're performing some act. We do that sometimes. Some of you keep score with the Lord. I did all of these good things this week. These righteous things, these acts of service. Now, God, you need to live up to your end of the bargain. It doesn't work that way. Love keeps no record of wrongs. And love also doesn't keep any record of rights. Love doesn't keep score. That's an indication of your heart. 
We sometimes, some of you, maybe you do that with your time with the Lord. You're just putting in your time with Him, whether that's reading the Bible or you're going through it in a year and you're just going to plow through and you know, whatever. You get a medal at the end. But if your heart's not there, go read the phone book. There's an L, I'm huge on discipline. There's an absolutely 100% a place for discipline in the Christian life. We don't just do things because we feel like it. But loving God, it, it, love is not an emotion. It's a choice. He is looking for engagement with our hearts, not just us going through motions. If your heart is far from Him, it's an indication there's something wrong there. Remember, in Christ we have access He's brought us near to God. If you don't feel near, something is wrong. It's not how it should be. Maybe for a little while it's okay because we're people and we, we do this. But if you're looking back over a week or two weeks and you're like, nah, I feel distant, from, then something's off there. And we need to figure out, am I not living in the country anymore? Am I in Canada now? Not in Christ. What happened? We talked the past couple of weeks the importance of living, continuing to walk, abiding. All of those things that we just read, those are available to us as we live in Him. Remain in Him. Abide in Him. If you're not experiencing that, it could be that maybe you're not abiding. Maybe, again, you've, you've left the country. you still got the passport, but you're not living in the country anymore. Look to engage your heart, not just go through the motions 2 Chronicles 16.9 says this, The eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. That's what He's looking for. Whose heart do I have? Who is with me in this? Isaiah 29.13, the Lord says, These people, these are the Jews, come near to me with their mouths. These are people who are circumcised. They're doing the right things. They come near to me with their mouth and they honor me with their lips. But their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is made up only of rules taught by men. That's not what we want. In John 4, when Jesus is talking to the woman at the well, he, he contrasts that way of worship with your mouth, with your lips, your heart far from me, with what God is looking for. The Father is spirit. He's looking for those who will worship Him in spirit and in truth. You see the difference there. Heart, I mean, you've got mouth, lip over here, spirit and truth over here, and this is what the Lord is looking like. Yes, there's going to be a verbal expression of that and a physical expression of that and all of those things. But he's looking for spirit and truth. When you were dead in your sins, that is, that, that's the sinful acts. Those are sins with the little s, the acts of rebellion. And in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, that's the capital S, the flesh. Again, God made you alive with Christ. There's this great reversal. You were dead. I was dead. I was in Adam. And he took me from in Adam to in Christ. When I was dead, He forgave us all our sins. Those little acts of rebellion and big acts of rebellion. He canceled the written code, the idea behind the written code. That's an IOU. It's a certificate of indebtedness that I wrote. Kind of the, in Paul's day, if I owed Brandon money, I would write him a certificate that says, I owe you this much money. That's, that's this written code that Paul is talking about. He says he canceled it. That word, it's whitewashed, blotted out of memory, erasing what's written 
on a page to this IOU that I owe to the Lord because of these sinful acts that I've committed, because of my sinful nature. He's erased them from memory. All of them. All of them. All of them. He's canceled this written code with its regulations, with these binding rules that was against us, that stood opposed to us. How did he take care of it? He took it away, nailing it to the cross. Mark 10.45, the Son of Man came to give his life as a ransom for many. He pays the debt. We all have an IOU that we can't pay to the Lord. Jesus paid it for us through his death. So through his death, he not only takes care of your IOU, these sinful acts, the lying and the cheating and the lusting and the stealing and the dishonoring your parents and all the other things that we do, all of these acts of rebellion, all of these places where we miss the mark. That's what sin is. It's missing the mark. He not only pays the debt for all of those things, he also circumcises us. He delivers us from our own flesh that causes us to continue to live in this rebellious way. Romans 6, 6 and 7, let me see if I can find that real quick, says this. It's talking about baptism and how that connects with what God has done in our life. Romans 6, 6 and 7 says this. We know that our old self, our flesh, our sinful nature was crucified with Jesus so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. The picture there is not that we live sinless lives anymore. I'm still going to mess up. You're still going to mess up. It's that we don't have to. We've been set free from our flesh, from this sinful nature, sin with a capital S. Before you become a Christian, you've got no hope. You've got no hope. You're going, to, you're going to rebel because you have a rebellious nature. Again, that's what we talked about with our kids. It's who they are. It's who we all are. Until the nature changes, we can't expect the acts to change, at least not for very long. But as Christians, so what Jesus has done is he's not only paid our debt, he set us free from a slave master who causes us to continue to rack up debt. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, those spiritual beings that live in opposition to God. He made a public spectacle of them. He led them in a victory procession through the streets of the town so everybody can see them, triumphing them over, excuse me, triumphing over them by the cross. Or another way, another translation says triumphing them in him. Again, this idea of being in Christ. So Jesus takes care of the IOU that we owe. He delivers us from our sinful nature that causes us to, to commit these acts of rebellion, and he defeated the powers, these spiritual forces that tempt us and lure us away. Kind of the picture here, Paul talks a lot about this powers, authorities, principalities, thrones, rulers. If you read the Gospels, Jesus talks about the devil, and then he deals with these, he called demons, or some translations call them unclean spirits that are messing with people. And what Paul has done is he's filled in this middle layer. You've got the devil. And you've got these demons, unclean spirits that seem to torment people. And then you have this middle layer of powers, principalities, authorities, thrones, rulers. We don't know much about them. And anyone who says they do, they're speculating. There's not a lot in the Bible about these guys. Other than that they are real and they're opposed to God. You can read in Daniel 10, some of them have names. The Prince of Persia and I think the Prince of Greece are listed. Daniel's praying a prayer and... God sends an angel to answer him, and the angel gets to Daniel and says, I left three weeks ago, but I got hung up. I was battling the prince. I think it was a Persia. 
kind of the picture there is there's this power, this principality, this authority, this cosmic force that seems to be ruling Persia, which is where Daniel lived, and the angel can't get to Daniel until he gets through this authority. It's not to freak you out or scare you or anything like that, because Jesus has defeated all of them, all of those guys. Call them whatever you want. He's defeated all of them. So we don't have to live in fear of them anymore. And we don't have to live under their thumb anymore. For us, they're not names like Prince of Persia and Prince of Greece. They have names like money. Jesus says that in Matthew 6. You can't serve God and mammon. If you look in your Bible, mammon is capitalized. Some of your translations say God and money, and money is capitalized. He's not talking about the money in your wallet. He's talking about kind of money that's taken on this spiritual connotation behind it. It's more than just dollars and cents. It's this idol that we serve, this God that runs our life. For some of us, it's not money, it's fear with a capital F. Not that we get afraid, but our lives are controlled by a spirit of fear. And for a lot, that looks like worry. It looks like anxiety. It looks like overprotection. You do this all the time. you got to keep it right here because you're so afraid of what happens if something gets outside of your arms. You're wiped out, stressed out, torn up because eventually something's going to get outside of there. For some of us, it's not money, it's not fear, it's unbelief. It's a huge one where we live. It's this disconnect between who God is and who we say He is to us and how we actually live our life. We just don't believe. We say we believe, but we don't. It's unbelief with a capital U. We live in another country. We're not living in Christ. All of these things that Paul says, these are yours. You can have provision. All of your needs... You have access to God. He's drawn you near. You have forgiveness. You have grace. Every promise He's made, He's already said yes to if you're living in this country of Jesus. Peter, 2 Peter, I think it's 1, something like that. He says you're exiles. You're strangers in this world. But for a lot of us, we're not exiles and strangers in this world. We're 100% at home in this world. We feel like a stranger when it comes to living in Christ. We flipped it because we live under this power of unbelief. Whether it's because of our scientific mind or Western rationalism, I don't care what it is. We live underneath that. It's so difficult for us to actually live as if the things that God says are true in here are actually true for us on Tuesday at 3 o'clock. We're good in here. This is fine. Tough out there. My question to you this morning, are you living in Christ? I'm not asking if you're a Christian or not. I'm asking, are you living in Christ? Is that where your primary reality is defined? By what is true of you as someone who's living in Christ? Those things that I blew through, is that reality for you or not? Let's pray. We're running a little late. It's 10.33. You'll be done in four minutes. Five.
I want you to hang with me for five more minutes. I'm not asking again whether you're a Christian or not. I'm asking, are you living in Christ? Would you say your life is characterized by these things? Hope, freedom, life, grace, access to the Father, forgiveness, peace, provision, integration. Your life is together. You're not holding together. You recognize that God does. Are you living in the reality of all of the good things? I'm not asking if your life is a cakewalk. I'm saying, are you living in Christ? If the answer is no, why not? Why would you choose to live anywhere else? I can't find a better country to live in than that. Let us pray for you this morning. God, my prayer for all of us is that we would remain, we would live, we would continue to walk in you, that we would know the reality of living life in Christ. And all of these blessings, all of these good things that you want to give to us, or that we would experience those in our lives, that we would not be ruled by these powers and principalities and authorities that you've already defeated. That's just silly. They've got nothing on us if we live in you because you've defeated them. God, that we would not live under the burden of guilt from the sinful acts that we've committed. You've canceled that. You've paid that debt. We don't have to pay it anymore. God, that we would not live as slaves to our sinful nature because it's been crucified with you. We don't have to be a slave to sin anymore. We can be free. For some of you, you need to hear that. You don't have to be a slave to sin anymore. I don't care about heredity or genes or nature or nurture. None of that matters. What matters is you can be set free. If you're a Christian, that part of you that lives in rebellion to God has been crucified. So don't live like it's not. Those sinful habits, those sinful patterns of thinking where you miss the mark, you don't have to live underneath that anymore. In Him, in Him, that's been crucified. So God, my prayer this morning for each of us in the next couple of minutes, those of us that we've wandered away, we're living in another country, draw us back in Christ this morning. And those of us who are in Christ, reinforce to us, reinforce to us the privileges of living in your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can stand up. We're going to close with worship. Bo will cut us loose when we're done. I'll be up here and some other folks will be up here to pray. If you want prayer for any reason, uh, we'd love to pray with you or you can come and you can kneel at the altar if you want to take care of things on your own.